Welcome back to Fit Pet oh. Pod. Uh, with me always in the right lane is Duruk Jaya Singer. Hello. I was, I was, I was doing a, uh, a for our guests' benefit. I was miming something that I didn't want on the record, and um, and then I realized you hit record. So there's a video footage of me <laughs> doing the very thing I didn't. Gotcha. Uh, anyway, we'll end up talking about it at some point on the on the podcast. Anyway, but so- anyway. Look, uh, I'm excited to get our guest in straight away totally. because I've had the privilege of working with this uh, comedian for the last, well, for a couple of months now, but across about two and a half weeks or four and a half weeks of regional touring together between WA to to Tasmania to Queensland on the Multicultural Gala. She's been smashing every single gig we've done in this regional town. No bad ones, and- not even one. Not even one bad one. Amazing. She's one of the, she's one of those people, and uh, and uh, people. she would have been uh, you would have seen her most recently on uh, Katie Flanagan's show Fisk, uh, where she did a guest appearance. Please welcome the very very funny Ting Lim. Hey, thank you. Like I'm one of those people. <laughs> yeah, one of those people that don't have bad gigs. Yeah, yeah. No. I, I do. Uh, what do you do, think, uh, like Singaporeans? Hey? What did you think when I meant? What? What do you think I meant by one of those people? You thought I was being racist? No, I was I was just laughing at it. She's <laughs> one of those people, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great Dorujasing accent, by the way. <laughs> so off the top, Ben, I was asking if you guys had ever worked together and you said you have. Well, the first time we met is uh, it was the first time I did this sit down comedy club uh, in Brisbane, I believe, in 2000. And I reckon so, because I remember it, it was 2017 in uh, October. Could that make sense, Tim? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I would be at sit down because I'm usually at sit down. And the only reason I remember was um, I wasn't myself when I first met you is because it'd been uh, two months since I'd been off the booze and I had to share an apartment with Bev Killick. (laughs) 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 Um, For listeners who don't know, uh, Bev Killick, we've had Bev on the the podcast before. She's a big drinker. She loves a drink. And so sharing an apartment with her. She was a big drinker. I don't think she's a big drinker anymore. Okay, well, it depends on, but well, yes, okay. Um, so, so she was a big drinker, uh, but in that in, in in that situation, I remember just going. I think I remember I was like struggling because I was like, I'm interstate, I want to have a drink, and then um, and then I remember like yeah. you backstage, and you went, I'll, I'll talk to you afterwards, and then you just went on stage, smashed it, and then came back, and then continued the conversation with me. <laughs> <laughs> on on that as well though ting you're someone who um you don't drink too much do you or you might have one glass of wine or so has drinking ever been part of your um your lifestyle because i you're very similar to me in that we both came from uh asian countries to australia for for uni and then started doing a bit of comedy and then stand-up became our primary focus yeah, oh, and drinking was never a big thing for me. Like, I, I would have a drink every now and then. I used to drink a lot more when I was in uni, mm. but I kind of tapered off from that. I just, yeah, I just don't, I just don't like the hangovers in the morning. They just get, get to me too much. So I just yeah. started not See, drinking I, as much. I always hated hangovers too, but there was more 
you know, damage inside me, I guess, that I needed to mask with alcohol that drove <laughs> more drinking than I did. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I do other stuff. I don't drink. Like, I mean, like, heroin. I, yeah, I do heroin. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just did more therapy. I did a lot of therapy, but also like I was never drinking was I was broke as well. So drinking wasn't, (laughs) didn't really help, (laughs) didn't really help the drinking. I suppose, but goon bags are pretty cheap. Oh yeah. But I think like. How much is one now? Like how much is it? I don't know. Like isn't it like 50 bucks or something? Like I I was, I smoked a lot. So that was my big thing. I would smoke cigarettes. So most of my money went towards cigarettes rather than just drinking. Okay, you, yeah, sorry, yeah, just yeah, yeah, you yeah. can get a fruit, fruit Alexia um, gold oak fruity white cask for um, four liters for two, two, $12. There you go. Four liters? Yeah. $12. That yeah. is wow. amazing. I think we're losing money by not having it. I think we should all get back <laughs> on the booze because that's a good bargain. Wow. I reckon. I, have, have you ever done the, the Hills Hoist game mm-hmm. where you spin it around? It's called Guna Fortune, Ben. Show some respect. The, no, I don't. Even, I, but that's the thing. I was like, we. I remember we had to. I remember once messages went out with friends because we couldn't find a hills hoist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was like, where is one? Like, you know, in a city, Melbourne. We're like, surely it's the one. And then we eventually found one. It was a great day. Rukiero, what you do is you you get an umbrella, and you tie a, a, a string to it, and then you spin the umbrella, and then whoever it lands on, you drink the good. Oh, really? My. No, I just you... made. I just completely made that. <laughs> That's actually really, really good. I mean, <laughs> it's such a small circle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's like you just allocate. Uh, you know, like maximum four of you, pretty much. Um, like... <laughs> but actually, okay. So alcohol has never been a big vice of yours. Uh, but no, uh, cigarettes but were my vice. Yeah. How much did you yeah. smoke a day? Oh man, I used to be so bad. I would smoke like a pack a day. So I was like, I was spending like 50, 40 bucks a day. That's why I had no money for alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, you know, with 60 bucks, you could get like, fuck man, nearly four goon bags. I know. What was I thinking? Would you go Taylor's? Like, what were you smoking? No, I go Taylor's because I I didn't like rolling. I didn't like rolling. Like every time I roll, it would just, you know, get pretty shit afterwards. So I just buy Taylor's, yeah. And then what and what was your favorite brand? What was what was your oh mental, like Mambro Mental. I started with that. (laughs) Why are you laughing? Is that like a Bogan one? But usually people don't people don't start out with menthol. They usually end up with menthol, but to go out first menthol, it's like, yeah, you don't hear that all the time. I just start strong. <laughs> just start strong. Because then now I remember I quit. And then I remember I was like, oh, I'm not smoking anymore. And there was this one comedy festival where um, I'm going to throw him under the bus. Adam Knox goes, yeah, but have you tried the crush? And I was like, what? And I was like, I don't. He goes, no, no, what you do is you smoke. And then halfway through, you can squeeze this bubble. And then it turns into menthol. So you can really finish with a kick. And I, remember I was like, oh. Wait, what? That may- I didn't understand any of that. So you squeeze a bubble? Uh- so there's this little crack, there's this little bubble in the filter. So when you're smoking, if you want to have that menthol taste, you can crush it and then it turns into a menthol cigarette. So you can have the choice. In a normal, oh, it's, it's sort of, oh, okay. Yeah. So crush is a brand. No, is it a brand? Uh, it's a type of cigarette. It's a type it's of a cigarette, type of yeah. 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 Okay. I, I, I got hooked on the menthol crush in the end. 
That was yeah. my go-to. I loved it. <laughs> I know. I have to admit, I absolutely loved it too because it felt like you were having two cigarettes in the one, which again, is not a good thing. But at the time, yeah. it's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing really well here. But I remember I tried it and it, and like I hadn't had a cigarette in like six months. And then I was like, oh, that's really good. And then literally within hours, I bought a packet. Oh, man. Like once you get hooked on one, though, especially a good one, you just go back immediately. Like, Yeah. <laughs> but even then, like there was a period where I was like, I think I was smoking. And it seems ridiculous now because it's been a while. But mm. I was smoking uh, Benson and Henge's Crush. <laughs> Oh, you downgraded. That was the retech shop version. What happened? Yeah, I know. I was just like, but even then, like, I tried to explain to my friends in Europe. I was like, I'm spending $50 for a pack of 25. Like, I'm spending $2 a cigarette. And I just couldn't couldn't get their head around because they'd be like, they get the Gullies or they'll get whatever brand they get. And they'd pack a pack of 20s for eight euros. So for them, it just, they couldn't even understand the amount of money we were paying for cigarettes that we still do they call now it Golliers. i think that's what there's yeah, a french type of cigarette like where you also learn how to do mime and comedy yes yeah well that's the best thing that's why they're so french yeah. <laughs> right. um, Dude, i remember oh sorry Bill. No, i go, remember go. like there was a comic selling like counter i don't know like he would buy like a bunch of cigarettes from indonesia or whatever and he would sell it to us for like 20 bucks and i would always buy those cigarettes and it, they tasted weird but because i was so deep into my addiction i just bought the cigarettes because they were half price That's <laughs> classic uh, like i love that it's like yeah you because know, you i remember there was a period when i was at uni that mm. there was one guy who was just like hey i know a guy yeah, I know a guy. It always yeah. starts with that. Yeah, like, I know a guy at the Victoria Market who sells uh, a Lego tackle. It's pouch tobacco, but it's great rolly. It's like Champion Ruby, but you just need to know the code. And I was like, what's the code? And then the code was something ridiculous. I got to remember it was something like this. It was something like you go up to him and then you buy like whatever veggies and then you go, I'm really into cucumbers. Something like that. Right? Right. And then he gives you we a fucking cucumbers. dildo to shove up your ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just like, or just gives you way too many cucumbers. I just remember. I never went ahead of it, but I was just like, this guy was like, and like ounces of of tobacco, which again, must be extremely illegal. I don't know and where you those playing at home who were wondering which is the Queensland comic that was selling. Uh, yes, it is Carl Barron. Uh, and <laughs> it's, just, it's what he does. Oh, yeah. That's how he makes ends meet. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I saw him in Logan one day. <laughs> hey, so talk to us through then in terms of something that always everyone can get help from about is someone choosing to see that what they're doing isn't healthy behavior and then needing to, you know, um, introduce controls and restrictions or whatever you want to call it. Some sort of, you know, um, discipline, I guess. So for you, yeah. a pack a day was as bad as it got. So like $50, $60 a day on cigarettes. Yeah. yeah and that so was my how long point. did that last? Oh, like honestly, for years, I was addicted for years. Um, I was working in a very stressful job. So, and I was doing comedy and I wasn't really doing very well in comedy because my mental health wasn't all there. So, the pack of cigarettes a day was just my way of coping with it yeah. and how i how i got better was because i was like coughing a lot i was starting well to we'll go step by step we'll go step by step yeah. so, so about four five for years you reckon this was happening did you yeah. try along the way did you try to 
uh, stopper at the time, you're like, no, I, because uh, I always understand completely in terms of coping mechanisms, you've got to put out the immediate fire, right? Like, for example, yeah. we, I know personally for me, um, when I quit drinking, I didn't care about uh, putting on weight. I was like, fuck it, eat whatever you want. Just make sure you don't drink again. And when I did sobriety for about a year, then I started on, you know, figuring out with, with um, yeah. food and just things like that. Now it's that thing of like, because I'm sort of down because of the heart attack and stuff like that, I'm trying to not put pressure on me in terms of what I consume, but yeah. making sure I don't lose the the momentum I have with exercise. So at least the only rule I give myself is I still have to move, do something every day, right? Uh, but yeah. but but in terms of uh, nutrition, it's all over the place. So I understand what you're saying. So when you had those things, when you realize you had a stressful job, your mental health isn't well, and you're trying to balance a comedy career, you're like, fuck it, having a pack a day doesn't matter. But were there times in there where you felt like, oh, let me try something and you had fuck it too hard and I'll come back to it? No, I wish I had that kind of willpower. <laughs> I was just down in the dumps. Like okay. it, it was, it wasn't like I, I knew it was unhealthy, but I didn't care. Yeah. Like, you know, I just kept going and it, it just became worse. It got to a point where I was coughing every day. And then one morning I woke up coughing out blood and I was like, all right, oh, this, wow. this is like, yeah. It's really? like a call. Yeah, it was really bad. And I was coughing so much and I was like, all right, you know, I, I got to stop. Like, I can't do this anymore. I can't smoke that much. And oh. that was the wake up call that I had. Can I get a little graphic though with the coughing mm -hmm. of blood? Was it just traces of blood in your phlegm or was it like blood, like big chunks? It was traces of blood, but it, my dad is a smoker and I remember him coughing out like blood blood you know so it was just like oh I'm already there and my dad yeah. got there when he was like in his 70s and I was only in my 20s and I yeah, was like, you're like fuck amateur <laughs> yeah I'll do it in I was like the time. Wait ahead. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. did, did you did you panic straight away because because is it so it's so associated with the you know the quit smoking emphysema ads where by the time you see blood it's too late did you freak out a bit when you saw the blood no because i think i was so depressed i was like this is what you deserve at that point like my mental health was really bad whoa, whoa that's huge you know what i mean 100 know what you mean yeah yeah well because yeah sorry go uh, no i was going to say I, I got a chance to speak to someone who's a, a doctor who works with addiction right and he was saying Basically, all addiction broadly, like very, very broadly, whether it's gambling, sex, drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, whatever you have it, any addictive behavior is all comes down to pain management. It's whatever, yeah, yeah. whether it's emotional pain or physical pain, addiction is almost always, as far as you know, you can tell, is linked to some sort of pain management. So it, it really rings true with me with what you're saying is that that behavior at the time you were like, fuck it. This is, I'm, I mean, my mental health isn't well enough that I just, you know, have to deal with the pain somehow or the other, you know? Yeah. And exactly like, you know, I it wasn't, it was a wake up call, but I feel like it was a series of wake up calls before I was like, all right, I need to go see a therapist because obviously I'm not doing well on my own. At so that can, point. I, can I ask, so during that, again, all these, feel free to omit anything you're not comfortable chatting about, but I'm genuinely yeah, yeah. Uh, interested to know, given your, you know, uh, coming from Singapore as well, similar, similar cultural background to mine, where things like mental health 
and, and depression and things like that have so much stigma around it or less kind of open dialogue about it with family mm-hmm. at the time at that age of in, in what what age are you 20 early 20s late 20s uh oh that would be like late 20s I late think, 20s like so when you say your mental yeah. health when your mental health was bad do you reckon you recognize that at the time or this is an insight that you have now in hindsight no it was it was like you know like you scratch the surface and you go like all right that was my I always knew my mental health was bad. I just didn't know how bad it was. You know yeah. what I mean? What is so, what did, what what did it look like for you your version of bad mental health? Because for for context with mine, mine it's a lot of uh, overeating during the day. Um, like uh, you know, alcohol obviously was the big one. But since sobering up, my version of bad mental health is waking up in the morning, eating ice cream, having no motivation to to get off the bed or couch. And just like, just hopelessness is what I would say mine looks like, and just kind of like a low energy. So what were the symptoms that manifested for you? Mine would have been um, procrastination, Uh putting things off. That would be the first one. Uh The second one would have been just sadness, like just waking up sad, you know, like, or, you know, sometimes you get invited to parties, but I would feel out of place or just really lonely, even though right. I was at a party. Right. Um, yeah, mind, so that I, was my thing. I reckon that's a really good example because I I was the same thing. I'd get invited to parties, but instead of not going and not wanting to lose the friendship, I used to go to parties and then I would just do the dishes and I would just do the <laughs> dishes on hours and, and I just became the dishwasher guy. Like everyone's like, oh, classic Lomas doing the dishes but it was just like I didn't have to talk to anyone and if I did talk to someone it was one-on-one and I could manage that like I could manage one-on-one but then I knew yeah. that once the dishes were done I would leave and everyone's like what a nice guy and, and I was like thank god I got through that you would have been great in the beauty and the beast uh, castle because you just wash the dishes and tap to them while you're washing them the dishes is interesting because even to date right Ben, yeah. like with family and stuff you're the one who does the does the dishes it's my meditation it's it's my safe space so oh uh, what i would do is i would go up to a party i'll bring like some alcohol or something that people like and then i'll be like do you need help around the kitchen and they're like no everything is laid out and i'll be like nonsense you don't know what they're doing i'll start <laughs> cleaning up tables I because <laughs> it's an anxiety thing it's like yeah. oh, i don't really want to be here but i need to do something to fill my right. mind up you know, like, yeah, right. totally. Because the, uh, there's nothing that was more, and it was just so funny because I think at the time I was doing comedy and working full time, and I didn't realize how bad my mental health was. And, and you know, and I had issues with, you know, in my relationship. You're trying to work it all out. So then the idea of, you know, you barely have any time to yourself. And then the idea of then having to spend it. And it was uh, what I struggled with was I found it easier to talk to strangers rather than people I knew. Because therefore, people I didn't know therefore didn't have preconceived judgments on me. Because I was always wondering what people were going to say or what they were going to think. Or and and the one that I always dreaded was, yeah, but how is comedy going? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it is it is something I can relate to so much. Like I would talk to strangers more than family or friends because it's it's like they know you, whereas like people yeah. who don't know you get this new version of you, and it's easy. Yeah, it's easier to go. <laughs> mm. Yeah, totally. One of the that's what that's one of the things that I always say was the best thing about 
a therapist compared to like I'm very open and vulnerable with my brother and my partner and things like that. But with a therapist, it's even better because there's no consequences of sharing. You can just completely unload even the fucking most selfish, whiniest fucking thing that you might think is, oh, I shouldn't let anyone know that I think this or whatever. I'm embarrassed to admit this. Fuck it. You can tell it because it doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it is like that. Like, you know, like it's, it's weird how the brain works as well. When, when, like my, my therapist said, it's kind of like, you know, if you have good mental health, it's like you have a full uh, gas tank. But if you have like really bad mental health, you're running on super low and you would do things to try to fill it up, but it actually just doesn't work that way. It's yeah. just the brain trying to do certain things and make sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. And I, I think it's always, it's, so it's just like when you're in 20s, if you were lucky enough to have a car, then what you would, what you do is you put $10 in and then you'd have to make the $10 last as long as you can. And it's kind of the same when you're in a bad state with your mental health is you, there's only so much energy and so much willpower you can have to get to, to even the next conversation where you're just like, oh my God, do I sound normal? Because I had this, I remember there was a period when my mental health was so bad that I didn't know whether I, I, I became paranoid about how I was being perceived because I thought, I thought I was like, I was scared to sound crazy. And there was a period in my life that even then I do stand up and instead of hanging out with the other comics or the other ones, I would end up at the pub at talking to strangers because that's where I felt most comfortable. Because even if I did sound crazy, I was never going to see them again. And mm. there was a period where at this particular pub called the Exford Hotel on Russell Street, uh, Melbourne, where I realized I wasn't the only one because there were probably like six or seven other men at the same age doing the same thing. And I was just like, wow, it was like, it was like therapy, alcohol, let's get our feelings out without even realizing, you know, there was a problem, but there was a problem and you didn't realize you were just talking and getting more drunk. It was so weird. I think about it now, it's like so many warning signs, but you don't really know it until someone tells you. Yeah, and I think conversations like this are getting better. People are getting better with talking about these things, you know, that hopefully in time, you know, they recognize it quicker than we did, at least our generation did. And the thing you said about the, at the thing you guys were talking about in terms of the capacity uh, reminded me of this quote that I saw on Instagram or something the other day, which really resonated with me, which is that if you have, if you only have 30% one day and all you gave is 30%, then that's a hundred percent of what you were capable of. And like celebrate that because I know that during the pandemic, I was someone who was like, pissed off at myself for not operating at the level I was prior to the pandemic. And then I realized, oh no, I'm still giving my 100%, but of what I've left, like that your fuel tank example, Ben, like you just go, this is all I've got. This is all I can fucking give. And it's important to have that conversation that, so if you're working with someone else, that they don't think that you're only putting in 30% because you're lazy, but you're, you know, if they're made aware of going, hey, I'm having a bad mental health day, I am giving you the maximum I can give right now. There's a, I believe there's a genuine appreciation of that honesty and vulnerability going, oh, uh -huh. fair enough. You're, yeah. you're fucking pulling the hard yards here. I appreciate it. You know what I mean? Whereas I think we come from a generation which didn't factor that in. And it goes, no. it was just output based. What is your output? If it's not matching what we want, then it's not good enough. 
Oh, dude, like mental health was never a thing when I was growing up, even ADHD. Like I reckon when mm. I was younger, I had some form of ADHD because I always get detention for just walking around in the classroom because I couldn't sit. I just couldn't sit and focus and the teacher would go like, what is wrong with you? My mom actually, like legitly, I talked about this in another podcast. My mom actually thought I was possessed by a demon. And then at one point she brought me to this like demon cleansing ceremony whoa then, let's talk about this <laughs> forget this other podcast that you've already told this on i mean good on him but can you please share this story with us please so i was so really what age naughty. were you what age were you oh uh, like i was like 15 or 14 i was really naughty i couldn't like stay in class i would try to play truant and um my mom one day she was like you're born in the year of the tiger according to the zodiac and the stars alignment like you obviously have some you've been possessed by a demon so she brought me to this medium this right. like charlatan and he made <laughs> crawl through a tunnel like you know one of those tunnels for the cats like i had to crawl through the tunnel and then at the end sorry of it, Ting, it just... sorry sorry to be culturally insensitive but what? no, no one has any fucking clue what you mean by one of those tunnels that cats crawl through. <laughs> what do you? However, about? however, no. I, I do only because I saw my son go one, but it was a fairy party. <laughs> <laughs> what? what is so a tunnel? He, What's the tunnel? No, so he. Ha- I don't know how to describe. Do you want me to show one? I've got one in my room. Dill. Do you know what she's yeah, talking yeah, about? Yeah. No. Okay, hang on. Wait. Hold on two seconds. Okay. I apologize then. I should fucking take accountability because I was like, I have no clue what this is. I'm pretty sure a lot of people don't, but sounds like <laughs> sounds like I'm the maturity. Is yeah, that what you it's mean? It's like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. Exactly. so what? It's By a tunnel size. for cats? Okay. No, human size. so it looked like a tunnel for for like baby humans. Like <laughs> just it is basically an obstacle course that he created based on some like Chinese. It was a very auspicious obstacle course. It was like a ninja warrior course. Wow. But I had to crawl through a tunnel. Disneyland he... in Singapore is fucking weird. Hey, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought and Universal then, Studios had big queues. No, there was an entry fee. And then like when I <laughs> got to the end of it, he was whacking me with some kind of sage leaf or like whatever that is like auspicious at that time of the month. And he was like, you're cured. And I was like, I don't think this is how it works, really. But I was so confused. I just did the whole thing. Was there smoke? Like there's in Sri Lanka, there's a few um, ceremonies or rituals, like when you're trying to get the demon out, where they burn like, there's like a, it's almost like a, think of a massive ladle, right? It's got a long handle yeah. and it's on fire and there's smoke that comes out of this thing and they hold it around your head and they swirl it around your head like, um, you know, 20 times one direction and 20 times the other way. And that's supposed to raise the demon out of you. Did right. you do any yeah, of that? Yeah, yeah. He did that. And then I got holy water thrown at me. Like it was a lot of leaves and water and smoke coming my way. Yeah. And you're like, fuck, was- this, this, is that how you got into cigarettes? <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that was the start of your punching dads. That was when I got my first cigarette. <laughs> like, yeah. But that was that was how my mom like looked at depression or like like she'd be like, oh, you know, you you you'll be all right like that. Yeah, yeah. It'll no. be it'll be that. But also like mentality. like it just like your classic like mum just just trying anything like I just I can't imagine what that would be like you know where you're just like you're running out of options and you want to do any you want to do what's best for your kid and there you are just going yep okay we're going we're gonna walk through a tunnel and I'm gonna pay money for this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll push back a little bit there because I, I mean, again, I don't want to speak on behalf of Ting's mom, but it's also, mm-hmm. I think culturally, this is me based on the experiences I had. When you say, I want to do the best for my kid, 
the only thing that I feel is incorrect about that is they do everything but actually go seek professional um, medical, oh like God. like like a psychologist, because a psychologist yeah. is considered more stigma, like there's more stigma associated with seeing a professional doctor than it is seeing a shaman. Like but a shaman, sometimes not even an option. Isn't that the whole point? There's, no, there's not even an option going to see a psychologist because therefore you. Yeah, no, actually, true. Like, like to to to, like you know, um, at that point when I was growing up, at least in Singapore, like uh, mental health wasn't really there was no emphasis on it. There wasn't a, any emphasis on it, to be honest. So, like, I think like my my mom growing up, in, uh, you know, in rural like Malaysia, with what she knew of like mental health, which is really nothing. She was mm. just doing what she she thought Correct. would help, like you yeah. know. And that was her way of saying like, oh, okay, this is, it must be a demon possession because there was no talk about depression or, you know, mm. like, like how, what do you do when you have anxiety or ADHD? Nothing like that when I was growing yeah. up. It was more like you go to detention and somehow when you sit for longer in a different classroom, <laughs> you'll be cured. Like, I do yeah. wonder like about the, the generations from, you know, Sri Lanka, Malaysia, Singapore, like those, those people like our great grandparents and their ancestors there would be i think people with anxiety and depression that didn't get obviously diagnosed with that they would have just said oh they've just got some sort of you know devil in them or the demon in them but also i feel like the lifestyle that we have you know really brings out anxiety and depression a lot more the new cycle the 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 you know the social media world the type of work yeah. we do and all of that there's definitely your people who are prone to anxiety and depression, I think, are more. Um, uh, uh, it comes out more these days than it would have back then, right? Yeah. Also, I think like now, to be honest, like if you look at the lifestyle that we have now, it is a lot more easier, in a way. Like we have more free time, whereas like uh -huh. I, back then, when my mom just immigrated to Singapore, you know, she was working two jobs. My dad was working. Like, uh -huh. like and people were just struggling to put food on the table and shelf like you know pay for the mortgage and stuff so i don't even think they yeah. had the time to even sit down and go what the hell is this like right. they were just surviving back then right right you talk you hear about that with like second generation all right people who are born after the the holocaust you know if the parents were part of world war ii they grew up with this idea that, that the parents were like fuck as long as there's food on the table and there's a roof above your head we're fucking killing it so we don't have time yeah. for any other any other social issues you know and also that drags over that that I feel like that you know people who went through like a World War Two or who've gone through a war that 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 stays like you know that yeah. sort of mentality called genera generational trauma. And and it's so funny because I just think of my grandmother who you know still this day is like we you know you go out for dinner and you completely full, and then there's leftovers on the table and then and she'll do it and she won't she'll do it when you can't tell her, and then you get home and she'll empty her handbag and every leftover is wrapped up in a napkin. Because that's what you did. Like you just couldn't leave anything anywhere uh -huh. without taking it home. And it's just like that oh. trauma just does not go. Like I remember she took home. I'll never forget this. <laughs> like they have croquettes in Holland. So there's like it's pretty yeah. much like, the best you can describe is like a, like a nugget. Yeah. And the, and we ordered too much. There was like twenty, and she wrapped up twenty individually and put them in her bag. It's just so. It's just like I just remember I was like, who's eating this? I, I'm not eating this. Dude, <laughs> You know, my mom at one point, like, I don't know, like, we we didn't have water bottles at home and we needed water bottles to go to school. So what my mom did was we were at this, like, 
fair and people were dumping like coke bottles into a bin my mom made me and my brother swan dive into the bin to grab the bottles and we would wash them and use them as water bottles for school like that was my mom like and, and now you can sell them for 10 cents in south australia yeah. <laughs> like recycling early uh, but it's just kind of like that's just kind of the generational thing where because my mom had me when she was like 33 so she she grew up like when the occupation just ended so right. there was still like that kind of like oh we need food on the table that's that's mm. like great if we do if we can eat and stuff yeah what about so in that moment when you went to this um shaman charlatan witch doctor thing so at the end of it he goes okay now you're cured do you have a memory of what it felt like at the time did you did you feel like i don't feel any different but or did you trust the process because obviously you went with your mom did you i i i didn't trust that process because i i guess like when i was growing up you know i was i was exposed to more like uh, education of, of logic and like science so it was yes. kind of like, <laughs> so I, I couldn't just go yeah but I went in there like you know because I wanted to make my mom happy because obviously right. she was distressed yeah I went there at the end of it I was just like I can't believe people pay for this like it was just it was just such a weird experience I was just like very kind of I guess shocked in a way yeah. that people if do that if, if you could imagine a 15, 16-year-old Ting Lim who suddenly had access to, you know, a podcast, so if there's a version of you out there right now listening who is kind of in a similar situation where they aren't in a culture where they're, you know, are openly talking about these things, what are the, some of the things you wish you could say to yourself then in terms of what would, what would make that load feel easier had you known this at the time? Um now i would say go on the internet and and get some help on the internet there's like mm. uh, you know therapists available on the internet back then i didn't really have that option because the yeah. internet wasn't around yeah but i would say like you know seek help the earlier you seek help the and if you're open to it and if you commit to it even though it can be very hard sometimes because sometimes you wonder am i even is this even worth doing am i worth it mm. you know but if you do it in the long run, you'll be in a much better place. But it is it is very hard because you're the one driving the car with like a you know ten percent in yeah. your tank. Yeah, and also so, which is also just struggling as well. It's like you know, and that's you know, we've me and Dilla popped on about it so many times. But you know, even if you don't know how to get a mental health plan, like it's it's unfortunately still so expensive, and so yeah. it's that thing where it's you know you know trying to even have the money to be able to do it is, is hard enough. But if you can, it, it is an investment. Just make sure you get a mental health plan because not everyone has $220 to, to, to see, a, you know, someone. But, you mm. know, with a rebate, you can actually, you know, and like, and I was trying to explain it once to a friend of mine. He's like, oh, do you go see someone? I was like, man, I've been seeing it for someone for over a decade. And I, you know, but for me, it's like a gym membership. Like, you know, that that's, it's just a gym for the mind. It's having a personal trainer to go, hey, what about this? Have you thought about doing this? Have you thought about doing this? You know, do 10 reps yeah. of this, but it's all in your head. And, yeah. and, 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 and sometimes there are techniques where, you know, and you might have, maybe you can shed some light on this, but do you have techniques that you've learnt to help with your, with your mental health or to reset it or to make you feel better or? 
Oh, two things I do. I don't know if it's good, but like the two things I do is like the first thing is like this will pass. So like whatever I feel will pass. Yeah. And the second thing that I've been trying to do is just talk to myself kindly because like one of the biggest thing that I have is just like having a lack of self-compassion. Yeah. So so just changing that narrative and saying out loud. It's that it kind of I kind of sound like a whack job. So I would say like I would say negative things about myself, and then I would argue with myself while talking to myself. If that makes sense. No, no, and absolutely. And, yeah. and, and, I, and and I'll sort of like say, oh, don't don't feel like it's a you know whack job thing to do because you know you got to play the cards that you were dealt. Like if this is something that helps you process that thing, it it is you know more power to you. Do you know what I mean? At least you're having the at least you're doing the work. Whereas a lot of people, you know, aren't able to even get that moment, that that courage to push themselves through to doing the work that is required to to make you feel better. So if it, you know, just because it might feel like, oh, talking to yourself is something that, you know, most people don't do or whatever. It's like, well, I, yeah. like fuck that. who cares? If this is what you have to do. Do it. Do you know no, I mean? just don't do, just don't do it in public. Like, public, one sure. Was, <laughs> one time I was in the car and the window was down and I was like, "Oh shit, is that why the person is looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on but, with that lady?" So like, your self talk. I'm I'm really curious about this. So the self talk is actually out loud. So it'll be that if you, for yeah. example, if you don't mind me sharing, you and I we um, talked about this a little bit about off stage that you come off a gig and you're very hard on yourself, right? And you're very yeah. Like so, I was sort of saying to you, okay, give me three things that went well in the set, you know, and getting like specific verbal confirmation that you're aware that you crushed, but your instinct is to go into negative, right? Yeah, yeah. That's so my how... happy place. <laughs> your love language is, is criticism. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like, so yeah, so for you with your mental health, is, is, is that, as you said, you say it out loud, a negative thought that you're having, and then find like logical counter arguments to it. Yeah, uh, not even logical. I'll just like, um, for example, like recently I was trying to do this bit and it hasn't been working and I'll be like, I, sh I should just ditch it. Why am I doing comedy? You know, obviously I don't know what I'm doing. And then I'll be like, no, fuck off, you idiot. Like, you know, and then I'll talk to myself. <laughs> I was like, you fucking idiot and blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, you did this, you did this, you did this. It's not working. Can do do it another way. Right. Keep trying. I, the the, the, the language. Say, Sorry. Can I just say on the talking yourself, it's so funny because I think that's, you know, they talk about like, um, you know, a lot of people say, you know, yeah, you sort of repeat that stuff and then you can start to believe it. So like some people say, you know, like, yeah, I had this one ages ago, I was like something incredible will happen to me today. It's like affirmations and that kind of stuff. But what I love about technology is I didn't realize, but, and my partner talks, I still do it to this day and my daughter does it. And whether it's genetic or not, I don't know. I talk to myself a lot, like a lot. And I've done it my whole life um, to the point where even when I was younger, I had an imagine, imaginary friend who I would talk to, who was a leprechaun. And uh, and I used to, you know, have bets with, like I used to always have something to talk to, but I used to drive an old car and I used to would talk to myself. And sometimes people would look across and it'd just be me just rehearsing a conversation or the anxiety would kick in to have a future conversation. So I would talk to myself in the car all the time. <laughs> but then if someone looked, I'd have to pretend that I was just singing along to a song. So I, I would just start just singing like like there was a song but nowadays everyone is just talking in their car by themselves so like it's just so great to have a full-on conversation with yourself and not look weird because everyone just assumes you're on the phone oh dude i have a earpiece in my in my head so like if people think like i'm yelling they would go like oh poor guy on the other end <laughs> <laughs> 
Can I say it. <laughs> when when you say you know you were saying in the dialogue an example about the bit and how you said oh you know shut up you fucking idiot like I'm you know it's fine yeah. I've been doing comedy well that who are you talking to do you reckon when you say fucking yeah. idiot me like but the, this is the thing like this is the messed up thing about me like my therapist also found it really funny I say like I can't be kind to myself I have to use the language I talk to myself towards me and then that would sink in and she kind right. of agrees with me <laughs> so what I will say on that is uh, no I, I and what I've, I, I've 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 had a bit of experience with this um where obviously any habit change takes time and if you've yeah. been talking to yourself negatively like that for decades, it's not going to switch off overnight. And the expectation yeah. that it's going to stop and it not happening is a demotivates people from even trying. So it's anything. For example, if you want to become a better runner, you know, you try to run a marathon on day one and you fucking destroy yourself and you get upset that it didn't work, right? You're like, no, no, no. you slowly build to it, right? Similarly, with any habit change, including self-talk and being kinder to ourselves, we need to accept that at the start, it's not going to be perfect. It's not the version of self-acceptance and kindness. The ultimate that we see that we want is not going to happen on day yeah. one. So what I found better is while the words may not change, like you say, for example, shut up, you fucking idiot. What I found beneficial was catching the words, but changing the tone. So almost saying, shut up, you fucking idiot in a cutesy way. Like, oh, shut up, you fucking idiot. Like, just <laughs> because because it is yeah. just the start of because because the more negative you are to yourself it's actually count you're not getting the job done because you're still you know being like aggressive to your inner self and more yeah. often than not our anxieties or the, that negative voice that we have was formed when we were children right because of the experiences we had we're actually talking yeah. to a, the inner child so remembering that when we say shut up you fucking idiot in say my case it's about overeating if i'm like I want to eat a lot right now, even though I'm not hungry. I, I, my thought is going, shut up, you fucking greedy pig, little, you know, yeah. greedy bastard, you fat cunt or whatever it is that goes through my head. I have to remember that, hey, 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 that's the fucking nine-year-old version of you that you're talking to. That's the nine-year-old, eight-year-old yeah. who, who created all these habits. So be kind with him. He doesn't know any better. Like, yeah, his, his actions and, and his instincts are wrecking your health right now. Sure. But he genuinely thinks he's doing this to protect you because somewhere back then he was told, if you do this, you will feel better. So he's showing up to try and look after you. And if you meet him with, in my case, if I meet him with, fuck you, you stupid fat cunt, it's like, oh, just can you help you, man? I'm only eight years old. What do you want me to do? Like, it's just, of course. Yeah. So, so then I feel sad because now I've hurt the inner child inside and it just spirals out. So the first step is to try and just have a say you fucking fat cunt or whatever it is, but in a cute way. I'm like, oh, you little fat cunt. Now come here. You don't need ice cream right now. You're fine. You fat cunt. You know. But yeah. Do you know? Do you know you go, Ding. You go. You go. Oh, I was just gonna say like it's kind of funny because when I start roasting my own thoughts, it makes uh -huh. me laugh. And yeah. when I when I laugh, I just go, oh, actually, that's quite silly. Yeah. And then I it it kind of helps me. It, it, it it sounds so weird it's kind of like i have to abuse myself to get better like, <laughs> but, but, it, you can... it, but it, it does work like in yeah you know what i mean like it, I, yeah, I don't yeah. know if that makes but I, absolutely it's so funny because it's not until it's not it's acknowledged so i used to do this thing where i would i would always expect the worst so when the worst yeah. didn't happen i felt relieved 
So I'd be like, oh, like this is going to happen and this is going to happen and then it won't. Thank God that didn't happen. And I would play that in my head over and over and over again to the point where I'm like spending more time looking for that relief when it was just me trying to just have some sort of peace in my mind, but then generating this unsustainable way of finding relaxation or relief. And I remember asking my therapist ages ago going, you know, in in the midst of it going, he goes, oh, is there any reason why you do that? Did you ever do that as a kid? And it's not until you go later, you go back in time. And it's like, I used to bet with this leprechaun that if, you know, like the example I give was I used to do karate. And then the sensei at the end of the class would fight the kid, right? And we would have to fight the sensei. And every time I saw the kid do it, the kid would end up being crying. And I used to be terrified of that. So then I would talk to the leprechaun. I go, I bet you, I bet you that I have to do that today. And he, and he goes, no, 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 I bet you uh, that you won't, right? And I used to have this conversation with this pretend character yeah. and I would bet, but I knew that I would always lose his bets. I would always lose his bets. So just putting the bet there with my ana- imaginary friend of an outcome yeah. that hasn't occurred yet was enough to give me relief. And it wasn't until I got to my 30s that I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm still doing the same thing. Like I, two decades on, well, and yeah. someone, someone points it out to you that you're like, you're doing the same thing, except the leprechaun is gone and you're just doing it with yourself. Or sometimes yeah. you do it with, you, you, you've been losing bets since young age, including this podcast <laughs> where you lost a thousand dollars to me. Yeah, never you know I mean? like it's that, it, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it's just, it's fascinating that, you know, it becomes a self-talk issue, yeah. but to the point where, you also got to go, well, for some people, it's genuinely their coping mechanism. And like Dill said, either you reframe it or you acknowledge it, or in some cases you, you even embrace it. And then before you know it, like you said, you've got an earphone in and you're just talking to yourself in the middle of Burke Street. And, you know, people are looking around going, this guy is definitely getting dumped, definitely getting dumped. Say, <laughs> like, oh, what's happening? <laughs> this is one of our shorter ones, unfortunately, this episode because of scheduling issues, and I apologise for that. And hopefully we'll get you back on for a part two, I think. But before we wrap up, the two things I want to ask is, A, mm. um, was there a... Um, a process with you quitting cigarettes that is worth sharing with our listeners in case there's something that they're struggling with in terms of specifically around cigarettes and how the therapy helped with that. And secondly, what is the, um, um, your comedy festival shows that are coming up uh, that our listeners would love to know about? So um, quitting cigarettes was a hard one, but I basically had to, for me, like logically cut out things that would lead me to smoke again. So it's basically yeah. like I, I stopped drinking. That was one of the reasons because every right. time I drink, I'll want a cigarette. I'm vaping at the moment, but I'm going to transition off vapes pretty soon and yeah. just replace that with another habit, you know, yeah. like chewing minties or whatever. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so it was just re- re- recognizing that, that um, if I drink, then I smoke more. So I'll take this out of the equation first. Yeah, and the triggers as well, like, oh, do I smoke because I'm anxious or I want to take a break or something like that. So if I want a break, I go for a walk around. And like therapy, I've done a lot of therapy that really helped me become more self-aware as well. So that's one mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest things, really. But it's also a physical thing. So like finding just having to deal with that uncomfortableness, that's just a big thing. You just have to ride it out, you know, mm-hmm. because it's an addiction. People, yeah. 
for for a lot of smoking as well, it's like yes, it's the nicotine hit without a doubt. It's it's eighty percent, but without that twenty percent of just having something in your hand and it's your time and it's your moment and it's you know for so many smokers who've been there before, it's your meditation, it's your time. No one can take that away from you because it is absolutely beautiful. And even chuck a coffee in there as well, let alone a crispy Sauvignon Blanc. You the world can for all the moment you're on such a high. And it's finding something to replace that yeah. becomes the trickiest thing. And like, you know, for me, it was, you know, it's, it's come in so many forms like chewing gum. I, I've never eaten more chewing gum to just quit smoking than I, you know, I did the gums for a while or, you know, taking deep breaths or, or I had this thing where I was like, I would drink like half a pint of soda water just so I'd burp so much. I wouldn't want to put a cigarette to my mouth. Like there's so many yeah. techniques. But like, like it's just that thing where it's like there, there are communities, like there's a great app, the, the government, there's a great app, which I recommend if anyone is trying to quit smoking. I've talked about it before and you've probably used this thing, but you can download one which is sponsored by the government, which is the quit smoking one. But what it does, it tells you how much money you've saved. And every day you just tap it and it gives you great fact or it looks at what part of your body's improving. And then, it, and, and I remember when I did after six months, I was just like, I've saved thousands of dollars. Thousands, yeah. not hundreds, thousands. And I think sometimes that can be a real good push for people. Yeah, that, that definitely was a push for me. But it's also like just the coughing up blood thing that really made me go, what am I doing? <laughs> uh, but Alan Carr has a book as well that a lot yeah. of people said worked for them. It didn't mm. work for me personally, but I think... That it's a different work. Alan Carr, by the way. I always thought he was the same as the comedian Alan Carr. But oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, it's no. a classic. It's still, it's and it's still, you know, it still reprints, uh, and it's just, it's still millions of copies. Alan Carr's like easy way to stop smoking—that's what it's called. Uh, cool, awesome. And so, Ting Comedy Festival. What, what were you? You're doing uh, some tour. You're doing a big tour next year. So, yeah, I'm doing the MCG tour in Victoria, regional Victoria. Uh, you can find it, find out more about it on comedygala.net.au. Yeah, uh, the multicultural gala with you, Dil, actually. I think it's yeah. I think you're doing it. And I think I the other be one there for is, those ones as well. Yeah, and the other one I'm doing is I'm doing my solo show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. It's called Woo-hoo! Everything or No Thing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Daily show. Uh, and also, are you doing Adelaide? Yes, I'm doing Adelaide as well. Yeah, tell us all the, the different festivals you're going to be doing. Adelaide and um, Melbourne. Adelaide and Melbourne. Melbourne. Okay, cool, cool, yeah. cool. And uh, excellent. Otherwise, you're in Brisbane. You've got a you've got a comedy room that you run in Brisbane. Yes, it's called uh, I Got a Joke for You. It's mm-hmm. uh, a monthly room on the first Wednesday of every month. It's at yep. the uh, Barrow in West End. Yeah, excellent. Cool. Awesome. awesome. Uh, well, you know, all the usual for us, uh, Ben Lomas Comic on Instagram, Joe Ruggie on Instagram, and FitbitPod on yeah. Instagram, and patreon.com slash FitbitPod for Everybody Patreon. Uh, take care, everybody. Uh, Ting, thank you so, so much. And I'm really so sad that this was a shorter one. Uh, we'll get you back to do, uh, I think, more more chats about... Uh, we actually didn't get to some of the weight loss chats we had on the on the pod as well. Uh, oh, sorry, on the tour that we get to get yeah. on the pod as well. Excellent. We'll right. you next time. Take care, everybody. Love you. Thanks, boy. I want